0: Rod is a London-based sales expert, uh, the cold email coach. He's a host on Bright Talk sales and marketing channel as well as the manager of the sales and marketing alignment group on LinkedIn which we're going to talk a little bit about here coming up. Rod, welcome to Accelerate.
1: Andy, hi. I'm, I'm very pleased to be uh, with you today. It's one of the most glorious days ever in Britain. It's a bright sunny day and our Olympic team has just landed back at Heathrow with a stack full of medals. So.
0: They did quite well. Number two, I think, overall, behind we, some country called the United States.
1: We did. So we pump a lot of money in now into sports in the UK. And, you know, investment, they focus on what works and they don't give money to sports that don't work. So cycling and rowing get a lot of uh, funding. And, I, and there's a lesson there for all of us.
0: Yeah, yeah. I watched a little bit of the uh, the track cycling that. Mm. Uh, your teams did so well on that was that's so much fun to watch. I mean, granted, we only get to see it here once every four years when the Olympics come on, but uh, that is that is a fun sport to watch. You know, especially the the pursuit where they're starting on opposite sides of the track and yeah, uh, very interesting. So, um, so maybe take a minute, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and also how you got your start in sales.
1: Okay, so um, after I graduated from university, I actually tried to be an accountant, which is probably the worst mistake I could have made. <laughs> I was I'm just, laughing I...
0: because it seems like so few of my guests actually start out wanting to be in sales, <laughs> but end up being there.
1: Oh, I was, I was far superior. I wouldn't want to do sales. That was, a, you know, a, a low-life job. And it was particularly low-life because my two elder brothers both did it. <laughs> um, but did it rather spectacularly well. My old eldest, elder brother worked for uh, IBM, and my other brother worked for Procter & Gamble. And they were saying, you'll no, get into sales, or I'll get into sales. And after messing about for a few years, I finally got a, a sales job with a tobacco company here in the UK. I didn't smoke. And this sounds like I was, you know, some sort of... Um, drug dealer, but I was selling cigarettes from the boot of the car going cold into shops around London. So to get I, them to carry your product? Get them carry product, yeah. You put stickers up and we had, it was great. It was a great way to close. You had to, you, your feet to the counter, you had three closes and you tried to close for a thousand cigarettes once, a thousand cigarettes twice, and then you brought out and you physically put this Shrunk wrap 200 on the table and say, okay, we'll just take 200 then, right? That's 1,000, <laughs> 1,200. But it was great in terms of learning objections, including like, you know, are you the guy that owns the shop rather than are you the bread man or are you the milkman who's just behind the counter at the time? Right. So it was really good. Uh, we had to do 15 presentations a day, which meant going into 45 different outlets a day. Right. So you learn, you know, you learn, you learn to be tough.
0: No, was this uh, in was this in London or
1: somewhere? This is else? in London and in some seaside towns on along the south coast. Okay, and that was with British American Tobacco. And then after about three or four months, BAT announced um, we're going to close down all our direct sales. We're going to do everything indirect. Which I never heard that term before, but it meant simply I was out of work. So I then looked around and looked at other tobacco companies, and you know, I, I had no particular attraction to tobacco, which just something I'd fallen into. And at that time. IBM were launching this strange device called the IBM PC, which I'm sure most of your listeners' parents may have heard of rather than <laughs> ever seeing themselves with the old Charlie Chapman adverts.
0: Those was right, I'd forgotten about those.
1: And my brother was involved in that and he said, Listen, Rod, IBM are doing this, but they're doing it through a lot of, you're um, using the channel as well. So there's a lot of dealers who will be um, learn, you know, looking to, to, to sell this. So why do you approach them? So I simply wrote, direct mail. I wrote to, I think, about 50 IBM PC dealers uh, in and around Greater London. Um, and two of those offered me a job, and I went to, went to work with one uh, in, in the City of London. That was great. And When I first went there, they said, forget all your sales skills. What you're going to do is learn how to build an IBM PC. Because when the IBM PC, when it first came, it, you had to assemble it, in effect. It was almost like a piece of IKEA furniture. Um, and you had to do these things called dip switches and you had to, you <laughs> oh had gosh, to lo-
0: I'd forgotten that term
1: you, you had to load something called Lotus 1-2-3 because that's what everybody wanted or VisiCalc or SuperCalc and away you went And so you learned the product, you learned how to use it you assembled it, I delivered it for about a month and then I moved on to the sales side and I loved that, it was great fun uh, selling so the IBM PC and then I went from that w- working for various uh, software companies here in the UK Until about the year when I was 38, I thought, I'm not sure what I'm going to do here. So I then started my own business and I've been sort of coaching, consulting, and doing all those sorts of things since since that time.
0: Wow. Okay. That's my story. That's your story. So let's sort of bring to the present here a little bit is because you do a lot of coaching of sales teams Mm -hmm. on various topics. You've run this huge LinkedIn sales and marketing alignment Mm group. Your opinion, what's what's the single biggest challenge facing sales professionals today?
1: Well, the biggest single challenge facing sales professionals is the threat of losing their job, I would have thought, (laughs) quite frankly. Mm -hmm. You know, you see these predictions of what's going to happen to the future of sales, particularly in North America, but I'm sure that will happen over here. Things become automated. But I would I would challenge what you said there. I tend to coach the CEOs as much as the sales team. Right. So I think it's the CEO. COO, maybe even the CTO who are the key people but having their expectations set right.
0: And so uh, okay so let's, I, let's rephrase that question in terms of sales professionals in terms of the expectations that CEOs, CTOs
1: CEOs have for sales. Okay I think particularly for um, selling into new business into new accounts, it's being realistic about how long it will take. I mean, I'm sure you've seen these documents, these purchase procedure documents, where it said, can an existing supplier supply this service to us? And if they can, why are we then talking to somebody else? So most companies, most corporates particularly, don't want another supplier, another vendor in there. They'd rather keep it to a minimum number. So if you're, you know, they only want 30 and you're 31, that's quite tough for you. So that's what one thing, and the second thing is just understanding the procedure,
0: the buying procedure.
1: I'll give you an example. We were selling to. Um, I was working with the company, and they were selling to a well-known French oil company. And uh, I, I did. I thought we weren't. We, weren't, we, weren't, we were not going to get this deal. Not they're not talking to us. You know, they're very Gallic in that sense, and I eventually tracked this guy down. Had this big. dramatic phone call with him where i went negative on him and i said well i assume you're not going to buy from us he said oh no we are going to buy from you in fact we're going to give you not one but two purchase orders one will come from one department and by email and the other will come by post from another department so i thought i better ask the question why are you doing that he said oh it's the way we can spread the budget okay and then i said great the CEO couldn't believe it. I couldn't really believe that we'd won this deal because it had gone so quiet on us. And then it went quiet on us for another month. Nothing happened. i was scratching my head. But then suddenly out of the blue one day, this purchase order or this document arrived by post. that we thought if we could translate it, it was of course, all in French, was a purchase order. And my contact, the guy we'd been selling to didn't even know it had been raised. So the question would be, if lots of people who work in companies don't know what's going on or how they buy sometimes, you know, it's a big challenge for us as salespeople to try and understand that, particularly into new accounts.
0: So what are the secrets to really defining what the buying process is within a customer account?
1: Well, it's not rocket science. You know, I'm sure you've heard it before. I'm sure you do all the time. It's having more than one contact, if you can, to, to, to to speak into that account, to speak to as many people as possible, but often they'll want to restrict that. Uh, Challenge. It's it's interesting. My wife works for uh, uh, British Airways, and it's interesting here from her point of view, ha- having to deal with vendors, the problems she has, and me being a vendor on the vendor side mm-hmm. trying to sell to a company like British Airways. So, so what does
0: she what does she say are the problems?
1: Well, she says the problem Well, it's quite simple, right? You know, um, she'll want to buy a project and that's a hundred thousand pounds. And her manager will go up to a, a finance meeting and he's got maybe three projects that, that he wants okayed or approved, you know, that's £300,000. And that meeting, there's a guy there from technology as well, or there's a guy there from catering, or there's a guy there from engineering. And they all get what they want, but not as much. So my boss is – my wife's boss – We'll come back and say, "Great, we've got approval, but you know you thought it was for a hundred thousand. Well, actually, I got you fifty thousand. Go and see what you can do." Then my wife has to go back to the vendors and say, "You know that order you put, that thing we put through for sixty thousand thousand pounds, we want you to do it for half that price."
0: Which is not unusual these days. I mean, but you actually. Look at it. Sometimes a good. It's actually sometimes better for the vendor yeah. at that point to start with something a little bit smaller.
1: Well, it is, and often you know, if you're selling technology, which maybe has a an elastic price, you know, it's not like you're selling furniture, such or you know, hardware. You can maybe afford to do that if you want them. If you want that um, big name, but it is a challenge. Okay, so
0: if you could see one behavior that sales professionals could master that would make a difference, you know, as we look forward in 2017, 2018 you know, what are you seeing? What's the sort of the one thing that that sales professionals' new skill they could master, behavior they could master that really make a difference in their results?
1: Understanding more about their client's business, rather than understanding more about your product or service, and. Um, you know, you hopefully you have a team around you that understand your product or service. Your job really is, as a project manager, to go in there and understand that, that your client and see how what this stuff will do for them. The challenge, of course, is your client may not want to share that with you. But they only want to share that with you truly once they place the order. I, you know, I've noticed. You know, there's a degree of trust goes up, ramps up once you're in. You have your, you know. A crude expression once you have your foot in the door there. Mm-hmm. Still knocking on the door, they share only tidbits with you. They only share only tip And that's the challenge. So you're almost like a, a Columbo type of character trying to put together what's going on here. What's really going on here? And what's the nuances? And trying, key thing is priorities. What are the time scales? Why do they need to do it this month, this quarter, this year? What's the real reason behind that? And unless you can understand and articulate what that priority is, you know your 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 sale could well slip.
0: Well, and that so that speaks to the importance of what you had mentioned before, and and certainly you we all you know those of us who have worked major accounts and the writing mm-hmm. about major accounts is you'd have to have more than one point of contact at right. that account. You need to be able to triangulate that information against multiple sources.
1: Well, that's fine, but even even smaller accounts, you know. Lots of vendors will say, no, it's this one person. That's, I, I'm the person you need to relate, re, relate, with, relate to. Um, so you know you get, you get pushed back in that sense. So It's an interesting challenge.
0: Well, do you, do you find that being the case? That even in smaller accounts, that, because again, sort of the general understanding that people are sort of moving forward with in sales these days is that sort of the individual decision makers being replaced by a more of not necessarily a committee, but multiple stakeholders joining together to make a decision.
1: Oh, yes. No, I fully accept that. But your point of contact may be restricted to one person. And people involved in the decision-making process, quite frankly, just simply don't want to speak to you. Um, You know, it's interesting when you speak to groups of professional buyers, what a low opinion they have of salespeople. Well, why do you think that is? Because salespeople become very product-orientated or generic and, and use a lot of Inappropriate adjective, shall we say.
0: <laughs> inappropriate. Yeah, I mean, they're they're focused on themselves, not the buyer.
1: Yeah. And that's the challenge. How can you be focused on the buyer without going too native? Without going what? Too native. You know, your, your job is not to your job is to help the buyer obviously make a decision, but the decision hopefully is in your favor.
0: Right. And by too native, you mean being too sympathetic too, to too the buyer. Yes, too right. much on their side. Yes, too much
1: on their side. Right.
0: So, how do you avoid that if you're a sales rep? I mean, if you're really trying to advocate for your customer and understand what they're doing, what's your um, what's your recommendation on how? Okay,
1: well, my recommendation is, and I know we slightly differ from you is, I think you need to have a larger pipeline than you currently have, so that if you say no to me, okay, disappointing, but it's not the end of the world, rather than if you say yes to me, that's great, um, you know, I'm you know a home run, I've maybe hit my target, so. I encourage people to have bigger pipeline coverage than um, than they think.
0: So, what do you recommend in terms of pipeline coverage?
1: Well, I'm extreme. I'm extreme. I work, the, I work on the assumption that 80% of your prospects will end up not buying from you. 80%. That's no decision. Do it internally. Go through the competition. They simply don't get approval. You know, In some worst cases, you mess it up yourself. So, let's dig, it, let's dig into that 80%, though, because... Well,
0: that 80%, I mean, a little bit, it seems like to me, sometimes some organizations, that really becomes sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. They say, look, we're, we average you know, 20% close rate on our prospects, but yeah. you can change that. I mean, you can have better qualified prospects, better targeting on the people you're talking with.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's great if you can do that. But I'm thinking, often we build systems that work best for the best salespeople in that company. Whereas I'm saying, let's do something where the average salesperson can hit their targets as well. Okay, let's improve them. Let's train them. If they want to, they're trainable. Let's coach them. Let's give them the skills. But let's be realistic about what's going to happen here. You know, what's what's happened before? What's our competitors' clothes, right? All those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Rather than, oh, um, you know, I, I heard a... I, <laughs> I was at a sales review meeting, and the technology guy said, oh, why do all these sales opportunities always fall through the floor? Why do they always disappear? And I said, because they do. It's a fact of life. Um, and let's not have it that if you lose this uh, an opportunity, God, that's it, your career there is over, in essence.
0: Well, you know? yeah, I mean, it's it's usually a group effort, win or lose. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I, I remember being, it was the frontline salesman, and being in a key meeting where we were going through all our prospects for the next quarter, and the CEO of the company came and sat in the meeting. So we were presenting to not only my team, but everybody else. And the CEO turned to the rest of the team and said, and how many of you think Rod's going to close any of this business? <laughs> I've been in that situation. <laughs> how many? I thought, bloody. Didn't, didn't even look at me. I was just sort of an artificial figure there. I can't remember what happened next. It was so horrific.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's not a good place to be.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I've been on the end of that as well. yeah, Whereas, Where where people basically disbelieve your forecast.
1: Yeah they maybe, maybe, maybe the right to because salespeople hopefully should be eternally optimistic uh, within reason but you know should be optimistic, but let's say okay, these things aren't going to happen. these things are going to slide. I mean I, I remember taking over a, a territory and the previous salesman said, oh, you're so lucky. there's a big database sales coming up here. This year, I've been working on it for you know eighteen months, and it's going to close when you're there. You're so lucky, and yeah, it did close about three years later. <laughs> so that's your point about the big pipeline
0: yeah, is that yeah. is that you need to be carrying sufficient number of prospects at various stages so that you have a plan B. Oh, yeah.
1: and and that's uh, and if that's the case, then how do you realistically do that? And I'm not talking about putting rubbish up there. I'm not talking about no putting qualified in the
0: opportunities, in the qualified prospects.
1: Yeah, and the way to do that, I think. In the modern day and age, is to be efficient in cold emailing. That, that, that's how I came around to that way of thinking, Andy.
0: So the way to grow your pipeline, the way to reach, do cold
1: outreach, is through email. I think so, and I now better, email better or, better or, than better than phone. Yes, all email does is ensure that when you have the phone call, the phone call is slightly warmer. Okay, so rather than having, I mean, to me, you know, I know we, we don't have this. um Sport in the in the UK, but you have this, the rodeo concept in the US, don't you, where people are riding, you know, wild horses and wild cows. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes, yes. You know, it's Americana. I don't why right, do these people right. do this. But if they stay on the horse or the bull for about nine seconds, that's a big achievement, isn't it? Yes. They're not staying on there for a minute, a minute and a half, five minutes, ten minutes.
0: No, the, the horn goes off. Once you get to like seven or nine seconds, yeah, the horn goes off, you jump off.
1: You've done, you've done really well. And when I see salespeople making cold calls, it's a bit like they're riding this book. It's like, God, I've been on the call for 30 seconds. Isn't this great? Yeah, I've been on for a minute. Yeah. and the, you know, So wouldn't it be better if we could sit down and have a meaningful conversation and you're relaxed and they're relaxed and basically you're saying, okay, is there a problem with me? What are you trying to do? Are we a fit for you potentially? Are you a fit for us?
0: So let's talk about cold emails then. So okay. Let's start serving the the negative cases. So where do they most often go wrong?
1: They most often go wrong because um, people use inappropriate adjectives. We are world class. We are fantastic. We we do this. We do that. We've got all these great customers. (coughs) Or they use uh, HTML. So from my point of view, there's only four parts of an email. And most people get these four parts wrong. So there's the headline probably the most important bit thing to think of. What is your headline? What are you going to say there? The headline it's, being the subject line. The headline being the subject line. right? So uh, there's a salutation. There's the main body and there's the, the signature. And in this day and age where most people are now reading their email on what you call a cell phone, what we call a mobile phone over here. Well, we're, got we're, to think- we're,
0: we're becoming more continental in that regard. It's more mobile here now too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we'll probably. We'll, but since we've had this Brexit, we'll, we'll probably go more your more your way then. <laughs> um, so you've got to think, that whole email has got to be read on one page of somebody's portable phone, mobile phone, cell phone. How do you do that? And how do you write to somebody so they're likely to respond?
0: Guys, so like I said, let's go through some of the steps of uh, of that. So, so let's start with the... The headline.
1: So the headline should be about them or raise curiosity. So it shouldn't be, "Would you like a demo of our software?" or I mean, "A fifteen of our software," right? Or um, you know, it should be something that's more meaningful than that. So I use, I, I, I you know, who's best to speak to about this? Or you know, uh, who's the best person? Something very simple. So you'll oh, have that. Sure.
0: You'll have that. Sort of request, well, if you actually, will. I'm
1: not going to share what I use, because all your <laughs> listeners will start using it. But something simple like that. Best per, best person, this would be a good one. Best person, question mark. So um, just so those in, two
0: words, best person.
1: Best person, two words. Um, oh, best person at XYZ Corporation. Isn't the way of doing it. Um, the other thing that I do, and people get surprised at this, I never in a cold email put the word Please. Andy, could you please help me? I think it sounds so sycophantic. Um, I'll say thank you, but I won't say please. I, I, I was, now, now, maybe in North America, please might be a more appropriate word to use. But certainly in the UK and in Europe, it's just straight in with what you want. So, um, so best, got, pers- best person, question mark. Well, first, then the name. The guy, so, uh, so let's, hi, let's, and, hi
0: Andy. Hi, Andy. All right. right. So, let's, let's stop there.
1: Okay. Do you actually say hi? I um, I do yes I say hi or,
0: yeah I do. See to me that's that is a sign of a of a mail merge or a mass mass email. Maybe yeah. Hi Andy. Uh, hey Andy. What about just the first name?
1: Right. You could do that. You could do that. I mean, have you I've tested pro- that to see whether there's I've t- yeah. I, yes? I've tested lots of things, and I'm, I don't think that matters so much. Um, because this person will probably think this email is so short that it's not a, a mass. And these are not mass. I don't send out mass emails. I don't send out two hundred, fifty, three hundred, four thousand. I'll send out maximum ooh, fifty at what? Fifty at one go. All
0: right. Well, we'll get to that part. So, all right. So, salutation. Keep it simple. Me personally, I'd yeah. I'd prefer people not say hi or hey because, again, to me, it's a tip off that it's an impersonal mass email. But go ahead.
1: Okay. Well, the reason I write that is when most people respond, that's what they say. They say hi, Rod. So I'm just mirroring what they do in that sense. So then you've got to think, okay, what do you want? What do you want from this email? And probably what you want um, is a referral to the person who's responsible for doing what you do. So let's say you provide, you have some health and safety software that you sell into hospitals. And you think, okay, so I want the the person who's responsible for health and safety at you that you know at Washington State Hospital, for example. So that's what you can ask for. You're simply gonna say, Hi Andy, can you please put me in contact with the person who's responsible for health and safety at your hospital? That's so, all you can ask. All
0: right. So a question about that then. Is you know, given LinkedIn and so on and so forth, you know, is you know, again I would get that and sort of say, well, hmm. Didn't they look at my LinkedIn profile?
1: Yeah, you could think that.
0: Or but why? Or did they not search LinkedIn to find out who that health and safety person is?
1: Yeah, but you don't. You might. It might be where you're introducing new innovation into health and safety, so you might not be sure. And in many ways, it doesn't matter because what you're saying is you're going to send this email to somebody quite senior in the hospital. You're not. The mistake most people do is don't send this to junior people. If you send anything to junior people, all they say is, "Hey." hey, Sloan, where did you get my email address from? And why are you cold emailing me? You'll get that sort of response. Mm -hmm. And I've never had that response from a senior person, from a CEO, COO, head of this department. They're too busy to respond like that. They're either, most of them will ignore your email, fine. A few of them will tell you to go away and die, that's okay. And a few will respond positively.
0: No, you don't. So besides asking for the right person, though, you don't put in some succinct line about the purpose of why you need to reach that person? No,
1: not at all. They're not interested. They're not interested. The COO is not interested. Oh, that's Hank, or that's Frank, or that's Sally, or that's Mario. Go, go and speak to them.
0: Okay, so they refer you to Mario. Yeah. So what's your cold email to Mario, say?
1: My I'm cold email to Mario, I said, hi, I've just been on. Hank suggested I ought to give, drop you a line, that you're the person responsible for this. Can we set up a, a, a quick phone call? Often what will happen is, and here's a really interesting thing, they will respond to your email before you respond to them. So you'll get emails back saying, hi, this is Mario. What's this all about? What what, do you want to speak to me for? Then you can have that conversation. Or what's even more alarming is you'll get a phone call saying, hi, Rod, this is Mario. You email my boss. How can I help you? And you sometimes have to scramble and think. Oh, okay, where's that from? Where, where, where? You have to sort of process right. that. So that, that's an interesting challenge. All right.
0: So your your cold email strategy is is leverage this internal top down referral, correct? Explicit validation from the top in, in order to establish a conversation with the yeah. what I call the actual decision maker, yes. the, the functional decision maker.
1: And, and if it's if it's positive in any way, your response, then I carry on. You know, and you will get often, hey, that's me you're talking about. I'm that, I'm that guy. Great, off you go. So the purpose really is to have a phone call. And what I would call I think what Mark LeBlanc refers to as a meaningful meaningful conversation
0: mm-hmm.
1: r- rather than a cold call. Right, so let's schedule it, let's do that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
0: So you're doing this in a fairly targeted way. So you're not doing, as you said, fifty at a time. You're actually personalizing each one.
1: I'm well, no, I'm. I would use Mail Merge to do this, mm-hmm. or some merge, or whatever system you use. But I do this in. Um, I would do this in Outlook or Gmail. It would be text-based email, not HTML. You don't want that because uh, it's want,
0: not deliverable. Oftentimes,
1: <laughs> not deliverable. It looks, looks, you know, it looks mark that looks marketing. The whole point of this is this looks like a, a written email that's come through from one person to another. It's simply asking one question but most people will ignore. You know, if you ask somebody a simple question, you know, can you point me to, can you tell me where the fire station is? Most people will say, it's down there, that left, that street, sorry, or sorry, I don't know. You know, it's an easy thing for them to answer. You know, if you say to somebody, what's the best fire station in New York? I go, mm, I've got no idea. I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. The one no. that puts the fire out, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the point. And then that means also that your signature, most people's signatures are a dead giveaway because they have all this gump about how marvelous they are and these awards they've won and these videos they've done and what Microsoft has said about them, what Gartner has said about them, all this stuff. Just get rid of all of that. So what do you put in there? I just simply put my name, my phone number, and I'll often simply put my, a link to my um, LinkedIn propo. profile. Profile. Yeah. Now, I know some other people use the system, and what they'll do, they'll put a link um, to maybe one one video, one YouTube video that's, that's about them. They might do that. And that sometimes works. I've seen that work quite well. But, but, not,
0: but not a corporate identifier.
1: No, not Not all a link to their
0: corporate website.
1: No, no, no. People don't care about that. Who cares about that? I don't know your company. I don't read about you. So it's the exact, exact opposite of those emails you get where people say, hey, can we, have a, can we have a partnership together? These are all the things that we do. You know, we build websites, we build space rockets, we, we manufacture, you know, electronic cars, we can do plastic bottles, we can build you mobile phones, all this sort of stuff. You know? No, forget all about just one thing. What's the one thing you want? Who's the one person you want to be in, put in contact with? And that's a good question for salespeople and marketing people to sit down together and work out who are the most appropriate people. Where does your product most easily fit? And you've got to write that in email in a way that people will understand. So if you've got a very technical solution that works in this micro part of health and safety, you've got to you know take it up to a higher level so people can understand that.
0: Higher level in the description, in the wording, in the use.
1: description, yeah, yes. Yeah. So not, not you know, uh, how 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 do you manage your tungsten approving uh, lighting? in Blah blah blah. No, no, no. Who, who looks after your health and safety, or who's responsible for bringing innovation into your health and safety? At your hospital. Simple as that. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so I do that, and um, are you interested in the response rates I get for that? Sure. Yes. All right. Now, um, I get somewhere in the region of. A twelve percent response rate for that. Okay, and in that twelve percent are people who say no, thank you, or people who say we've got something in re- already in place in that, and the other one is saying you know you need to speak to Hank or Sally or whoever in that sense, or Francois. Um, so you get a mixture across that, and the whole idea being, and maybe this is me being a sort of you know a stingy European, I look at that list and think okay so. Eighty-eight percent didn't respond. In, in a week's time, two weeks time, will they remember who I am? Probably not. I can't remember any, a cold email that I received two weeks ago that I didn't respond well, especially
0: to. Especially if they never saw it in the <laughs> first place, right?
1: So, yeah. So re- re- send it again. Send it again. Yeah, you and
0: know? you might do you change the subject line because that's one thing. No, things...
1: no, no. I don't change the subject line. I don't. I, I'm I'm quite brutal. I stick with what works. I might test the subject line. Testing the subject line is okay. I wouldn't necessarily change it, but
0: I've, well, I've heard and read somebody that does similar strategy to what you do. Except, uh, actually, they'll do it. Let's say when they send out a an email campaign, mm. and yeah, they'll go and say, "Okay, who didn't open it?" And then they change the subject line and send it again, yeah, a day later. But in your case, if you'd want to do it a week or two later, we're doing it for cold outreach, mm. you'll use the same subject line.
1: Yes, yeah, I will because um, my subject line is quite lean and. You know, you've got to be aware of all those spam filters that when you're sending into corporates. That it's, you know, it's amazing what words now get picked up and mm-hmm. you know, tr- trashed in that sense. you got that's why adjectives are your worst friend in that sense. So keep it simple. Imagine if you met the CEO of Boeing, and you you had, you, you he probably wouldn't be the person who would buy your stuff if you were selling to Boeing. But what question would you ask him? As to who you could speak to. So it's a variation on that um, old hackneyed um, elevator pitch but down to one, just asking people one question.
0: Well, slim down quite a bit.
1: And I find the more senior the people are, the more likely they are to respond to that question. The more junior they are, the more they're likely to say query you on your process.
0: Yeah, well I think there's actually been some research done that that verifies that recently. I was speaking with another guest uh, about email open rates and so on and that yeah, actually, for a well-crafted email, you're more likely to get a response from a senior person than mid-level person.
1: Yes, you. are. And that's it, Andy. And then after that, you're going to get people on the phone and engage with them. I'm, I'm you know, I'm not, the phone to me is the most important sales tool going. Um, and so you know, you need to get them on the phone and engage with them. And the cold, <laughs> e- cold emails—cold way to do that. Yeah, I, I, the interesting challenge is sometimes you will, they will call you. On the basis of that email, then you've got to be ready for that. I, 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 I confess I've messed up a couple of times <laughs> where somebody somebody called me as a result of my email, and I thought they were marking to me. <laughs> so I got a bit crotchety with them. They said, well, you emailed me first. I said, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. <laughs> it was silly. And uh, <laughs> don't make that mistake. Don't, don't make, make that mistake. mistake. Don't, don't do what Rod does.
0: All right, and so we're moved to the last segment of the show, Rod. Where I've got some standard questions I post to all my guests, and the first one is a hypothetical scenario where you, Rod, have just been hired as the vice president of sales at a company whose sales have hit a rough spot. They sort of stalled out, and they need to get turned around, and the CEO is anxious to have you help do that. So, your first week on the job. What two things could you do that could have the biggest impact?
1: Okay, I think you've got to look at the sales forecast and close everything that's realistic to close. That's the important one. Maybe that's not that feasible in this day and age where things take a bit longer, but that's what I would do. I'd focus on the forecast, spend as much time on that. And then the second question I'd ask, and this might relate to another question you're going to ask me, is ask the old Ted Levitt question, what business are we really in? And focus on that.
0: Okay, so make sure that there's no extraneous activities that are going on that are focused on the. Don't lose anything and let's focus
1: on what we're really good at.
0: Okay, good answer. So, uh, some rapid fire questions you can give me one word answers or elaborate if you wish. The first one is when you, Rod, are out selling, what's your most powerful sales attribute?
1: Hopefully that I listen.
0: Who's your sales role model?
1: My sales role model would be probably my two brothers, Paul Sloan and Nick Sloan, because they were both doing very different jobs, have very different personalities. One was very bright academically, one was very gregarious, and uh, they showed me what could be done. So, Paul and Nick Sloan. Excellent.
0: One book every salesperson should read.
1: Okay. um, Well, there's only 13,000 books on Amazon (laughs) on sales techniques, so it's it's, it's a trick question. And I'm going to say none of those. Okay, it doesn't have to be a sales book. Which N- None of those. So I'm, I have a problem with most modern business books in the sense there seems to be one idea that's stretched out to, to fulfill a book, one uh, well, magazine article. So I'm going to recommend a magazine article that appeared in Harvard Business Review in 1960 called Marketing Myopia, Myopia written by Theodore Levitt, who was a professor at Harvard at the time. Mm-hmm. And his, that, that, that article is famous because he asked the question, what business are you really in? That's a great question to ask your own. What you know? What business is the company you're in, and what business is that you're prospecting?
0: Okay, it's
1: a great question. All right,
0: good answer. All right. So last one. What uh, what music's on your playlist these
1: days? Well, I listened to a few of your previous interviews, and this question has given me the most problems. Uh, in that sense, because, uh, you know, downloads are great, but who listens to albums anymore? That's, that's the challenge. So I'm going to say something, an album that came out in February of 1974, which is probably way before most of your listeners were uh, were born. But in, to give you an example of the albums that were coming out just in that month, Steely Dan brought out Pret- Pretzel Logic. Pretzel Logic, right? Kiss brought out their debut album in that month. And Tangerine Dream, the famous... Um, Uh, German uh, electronic band brought out Feidra, but it was none of those. It was a live album that came out that month, Um, and this live album, I've listened to it virtually at least two or three times a month since 1974, and it's the band Morrison, It's Too Late to Stop Now. Uh, Brilliant album. Brilliant album. So So much so that they brought out one, two, three follow-up album since then of the rest of the shows that they called the music from that's just come out this month. So I would encourage everybody to listen to Van Morrison It's Too Late to Stop Now. And it's it's a combination of jazz, rock and roll, R&B, Celtic soul. It's a real mixture of everything. It's just wonderful.
0: Yeah. No, big Van Morrison fan. Love the... I have some, a couple of his albums, including the Grey's Tits one, which... Uh, mm. Gets a lot of lot of play in my rotation as yeah. well. So, Well, good. Well, Rod, thanks for joining me. To, uh, tell folks how they can find out more about you.
1: Well, the best place simply is to go to my LinkedIn profile and just type in Rod Sloan and uh, come and join me there. I run a couple of groups on LinkedIn, a sales and marketing alignment group. Please join me there. It's a big active group, lots going on. And uh, if I can help in any way and a cold email, simply drop me a line. My email address is Rod at Rod Sloan, S-L-O-A-N-E .co.uk, and I'll be glad to give you some very quick feedback. Like and, to.
0: and make sure that subject line is no more than two two words. Two words. <laughs> All right, good. Well, Rod, thanks again. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen in your commute, in the gym, or as part of your morning sales meeting. That way, you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Rod Sloan who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your sales. So thanks for joining me. Till next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information
1: about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.